Today on Girls on Film, we speak to Vanessa Kirby about her leading role in the film Pieces of a Woman. To understand what it's like for nine months to have your body go through that process and for you to expect something and what happens in each stage of it and and even in the sense of like really preparing for it, you know, creating a room or a nursery, which I did in the flat that, that we lived in. I mean, that the Martha and Sean lived in. Um, and you know all that all those sort of sorts of things went to some birthing classes you know i just i I knew i needed to understand um how it felt i also take a deep dive into the film with variety critic jessica kiang fasten your seatbelts it's going to be a bumpy night i'm gonna get that gun of mine and i'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot some people call me a freak I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And this episode is dedicated to the film Pieces of a Woman, which is currently on Netflix, who are our partners for this episode. Pieces of a Woman stars the Crown actress Vanessa Kirby as Martha, a woman who tragically loses her child after a home birth. It's a deeply personal story written by Kata Weber and directed by her husband, Cornel Mundruxo. Vanessa has already won the Best Actress Prize in Venice for her performance, and it looks set to be a busy award season for her. I caught up with her to talk more about the film. Vanessa, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you for having me, Anna. <laughs> well, um, I've been dying to get you on for ages, um, and I was very pleased when we first met because I was about to say to you, oh, I love your work, and you said, oh, I love Girls on Film, and that was a very nice moment, so thank you. Um, and congratulations uh, for Pieces of a Woman, which is an extraordinary piece of work. Let's start off talking about that before we talk about your other work. Um, to see this kind of story explored at the centre of a film is so rare, and I can't help feeling it's possibly because it happens to women rather than men. Um, is that something that drew you to the script about how how we need more of these kind of stories? Yes, definitely. And actually... Um it was that, you know, almost like on page three, when I read, you know, a page of the birth and then turned the page and then it was again, it was carried on. And then there was, it was the, a 30 page birth scene, you know, it instantly struck me like, oh, I haven't seen this before uh, on screen ever attempted. And then I thought, that's kind of wild because there's death on scream the whole all the time you know like group like really gruesome deaths and all sorts of different deaths and there have been since film began so it really i think it was um i guess a a real testament to it coming from a female writer you know and a female voice and the more and there's there's a whole female experience that you know in many different areas that we haven't um seen on represented on screen and so it was that as well as uh i guess the what's still a really taboo subject in you know um losing a baby and i and i also thought god that hasn't really been confronted on screen before either and and that those two things together made me so want to do it because i just thought oh it's yeah i feel it felt important somehow 
Well, I know that a lot of people have had very strong emotional reactions to it, as I did, and it's resonated with a lot of women. So thank you for bringing this story to the screen. You mentioned the screenwriter, Kata Weber, and, and I've had the privilege of speaking to you both together, and it's clear that you really worked on this together. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that relationship that you developed with her when you talked about the character? Mm. Well, in fact, it was interesting because I met her and, you know, I, when I uh, when I knew I really wanted to do it, I flew to Budapest just to sit with Cornell, who's the director, and also her partner. And, um, you know, told them like, I was just so moved by it and I felt like it was so important and I would love nothing more than to be part of it. Um, and it was actually only into rehearsals a couple of months later where she and I went for lunch and she said, I have to tell you that um, I wrote this because it's uh, because Cornell and I lost a baby. And I, I just remember holding her hand and I, and I'd always felt that, you know, it felt like such a, it felt like it was, I don't know, what's the word? Like there was so much soul in it, you know, it came from like such a deep place, I think that I, I, I hadn't, I didn't know that, but I wasn't surprised to learn that. Um, and I know that she spoke in English, like when she was talking to us about it, she was saying that, it was something she was really afraid to write about. And Cornell had asked her, you know, she wrote a few notes and he said, just encourage her to write. And they've been saying recently as well um, that actually it was kind of breaking the silence around it for them because they hadn't really had a proper conversation about it. It was just too painful. And there was a lot of healing in their relationship through the writing of it and the, the planning to do it. And even to be honest, in the filming of it, uh, I could feel that between them. So it was quite a kind of, uh, yeah, deep experience for everyone. Wow, that's interesting. So when you were filming it, you could see their relationship evolving even further. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. The, I guess, I, I mean, Kata says this, she sort of wrote it to try and, yeah, br break her own silence around the things that she hadn't been able to articulate or express and found it really difficult, even with her partner you know, with her grief and um, what a brave thing to do, I think, to put it, put, to, to make it sort of in that form and, and then essentially it be public. But um, I think, uh, I, I think even, even in the scenes, you know, I could, I could see, I, I felt the conversations that were happening between them around it, you know, day by day in a way. And so um, I think that was in a way, uh, perhaps their unconscious intention, you know, was to find healing through it, exploring it, and really on a on a bigger scale, just open up conversation for something that's so rarely spoken about openly. And and if it is, it's sort of uh, like what Chrissy Teigen, you know, recently. And I remember her sharing about her losing a baby and the pain of that. And I heard that she had very mixed reactions to it. Some people found it really difficult. She was sharing it and sort of um, there was a bit of backlash around it. And it made me think that there's not that many things in our society that are really taboo. And this is one of them. And I, I thought a lot about why. Um, because, and I still don't, don't know quite other than it's just something that um, maybe, yeah, the things that aren't spoken about in society means that you feel like you have to keep them hidden or that you're not, you shouldn't, or that it's too uncomfortable for other people rather than being able to outwardly express your pain and, and openly share it. She has to pay for her incompetence. Is this about money? No. Is it, is it about what, what people think? It's about you. It's about you having to face this. I am and... facing this. I am facing it. I am facing this. 
Well, I don't think you are. We need, we need some justice here. No, you need. That is what you want. That is what you need. That is, that is your way. That is not my way. That is what you need. Martha, if you had done it my way, you'd be holding your baby in your arms right now. I suppose it's not knowing how to deal with it. And generations older the, than myself simply didn't speak of it. I mean, you hear stories from grandparents mm. saying that if it happened, it would literally never be spoken of yeah. again in the household, which is the strangest thing. Um, re really odd. But I guess, I guess we're very slowly progressing, but we've got a lot further mm. to go. So we need more stories like this. And we need ones which centre around the experience of a woman. How did you prepare for this incredibly intense role? So there are, there are three things that I knew I had to um, try and understand. And all three of them really frightened me because um, the, they were so sort of unfamiliar to me. Firstly was sort of um, being pregnant, you know, and what that was like, because I haven't been. To understand what it's like for nine months to have your body go through that process and for you to expect something and what happens in each stage of it and and even in the sense of like really preparing for it you know creating a room or a nursery which i did in the flat that that we lived in i mean that the martha and sean lived in um and you know all that all those sort of sorts of things went to some birthing classes you know i just i, I knew i needed to understand um how it felt to be pregnant <laughs> because i knew that was important because i i thought I, I had to also really understand how it felt to not anymore and to not have the baby when you carried uh, her for nine months. The second bit was obviously actual labor, which was um, <laughs> also totally terrifying because um, I just thought, oh my God, if I, you know, I know we talked about this, like if I get this wrong, it's like the, you know, I mean, so many amazing women have done it and, um, and I thought, God, if you know, we're, we're attempting to do it all in one take. So I knew that if I, if I got a second of it wrong, then the uh, the uh, any woman that's done or any man that's watched his woman do it um, would call it out and instantly know, and it would probably take them out of the out of the scene and and the whole movie really. Um, so I had to learn everything I possibly could about that to be able to try and act it in one take. Um, and obviously, the third component was to really understand. Um, and to really, yeah, just try and get inside as much as possible the experience of, of, of women who had actually been through, you know, that kind of loss and spending a lot of time with them, asking them, you know, and then they were so brave to share their stories and some of them had never shared it with anyone at all or even spoken about it. And that was actually quite universal. And that made me sort of, feel a, a massive responsibility to try and do that particular kind of experience justice to them, uh, which was always the, the biggest intention. And secondly, to, um, yeah, to, <laughs> to try and uh, communicate what that, what the feeling of that is, you know, and, and, and yeah, as I said, the responsibility of the fact that this isn't something that's usually shared. Well, I was very struck by Martha's, tone of voice and the way she drifts through life in a dream-like state almost after the tragedy. 
Can you talk to us a bit about how you arrived at that kind of way of being in that kind of performance, which seems incredibly authentic to me? A friend of mine actually said to me, and I never forgot it, he said after his dad died, he didn't smile for a year. He doesn't remember feeling happy for a year. I think there's something so true in that. I think, you know, when you get through grief or loss or even like a relationship, you know, or like a really difficult breakup or whatever, and you have months of not feeling great. Um, and and you, you like that's it, it's a very isolating journey and it's a really singular journey. You know, no one else can truly understand what you're feeling in that moment. You have to literally process it yourself. And I always remember like in those kinds of times, I always felt like time changes, you know, time kind of feels like an eternity sometimes. Sometimes just a week feels felt like forever or an hour could be difficult. And I think um, with this, you know, the, the, the grief that I was beginning to understand, uh, that like the, the, the depth of from the women that shared with me, um, I think the movie really ultimately just tries to capture, and it is, really difficult because it is so upsetting you know and it's like properly un unflinching um and you know of course we're all aware of that but i think sometimes those months after such a colossal loss and trauma um the just getting through you know just just getting through those days are difficult and uh and it's kind of about surviving it in a way especially when society doesn't really know how to talk to you. And I think it was a deliberate thing. Martha, you don't see her with any friends, you know, you don't see her. And I think a lot of it is kind of inside her experience where the world is like buzzing on around you and you are just putting one foot in front of each other. And what you're feeling inside is kind of volcanic in its um, uh, turmoil, I guess. And it's kind of in the force of it, but you have to go to work and you have to sit at a desk and you have to choose the engraving on a gravestone that you don't necessarily even want to do yet. And, you know, other people are trying to help you, but really, you know, in their own state of grief and in their own sort of, um, on their own journey. And a lot of the time are expecting you to be a certain way that they think would help you and also help them feel okay if you did this, you know. And um, I think that's why the, the dates that have been, that were chosen, you know, it's not New Year's, it's not Christmas, it's none of those. It's sort of like quite everyday days in a way of Martha's after that kind of thing. And it was always going to be like that, I think, because it's a little bit like, I often thought of it like, you know, like your reality is just kind of shattered, you know, everything that you planned and you hoped for, you, the last thing you expected was this to happen and suddenly your life looks like unrecognisable and all the kind of shards of, of that shattered life are on the floor and you have to kind of pick up which pieces, you know, uh, you can manage to and kind of recalibrate and go, how, how do I learn to live alongside this, this and how do I, how do I learn to, to be stronger rather than let it kill me, really? Um, and I think that's why it's such a difficult, painful movie and also why the, after the birth, it's, it's sort of a, a kind of a quiet stretching of elongation of time somehow. <laughs> How is Martha? Martha's fine. She's always fine. Have you decided to go to the trial? That's the right thing to do, honey. Because you say it is. She has to pay for her incompetence. We need some justice here. No, you need 
I'm trying to disappear my kid. Because we don't have a kid. You have to face this. I am facing this. I am facing it. I am facing this. Who cares about what they think? This is about me. This is about my life. This is me. And before we move on to your other work, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of your amazing co-stars in this film. Fantastic female cast in this in particular, and kind of a majority, really. Anyone you'd like to talk about? Perhaps Ellen uh, Burstyn? I mean, what an extraordinary actress. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, we needed somebody who was, like, inherently formidable. Do you know what I mean? And she, like, of course has that. She's, you know, she's, like, as soon as you meet her, you're like, wow, it's Ellen Burstyn. And I always loved her and her performances, and she was so kind of iconic to me. So that was really useful. And, you know, she's such a playful... I mean, she's amazing. She sends me, like, unicorn emojis all the time. She's, like... <laughs> she's, like, the coolest... <laughs> that seems so unexpected to me. I know. Me. <laughs> she's, like, the coolest person and, and, and was right from the start. You know, at the beginning, you know, we were doing some rehearsals in her flat around her kitchen table and um, she... She said, oh, do you want to come for a pyjama party? And so I slept over at her house and we, we chatted till 3am and, you know, talked about the film and many other things and, yeah... Holly got any sleep and it was just it was just she was wonderful and like a true you know just a just a true legend really um I've now got an image of you like in Greece with your hairs in curlers yeah. and uh, in pajamas is like it like that, that? <laughs> it was a bit like that she had way cooler <laughs> pajamas than I did <laughs> <laughs> did she what are her pajamas like <laughs> um hers like very uh I think they're, I think they're silk and they're just very like they're glamorous you know whereas mine were like some old thermals from a film I did eight, eight years ago. <laughs> um, let's move on to some of your other work. Now, I could pick out some stuff, but I'm kind of interested to know what if, of your past work that we might be familiar with are you are you connected to from a feminist perspective that, that you kind of feel uh, was an interesting role for you to take as a, as a woman and as a feminist? Mm. I mean, definitely I'd say The Crown, only because Margaret, to me, taught me so much about... Um, you know, she was like a hell of a lot stronger than I am and sort of like such a force of nature. And it was so amazing actually to get to know that kind of institution that I literally had like no knowledge of or knew anything about and, and to sort of understand it and then, and then play someone who was trying to get beyond those borders of the things that, you know, um, hemmed her in in a way or the expectation of what she was supposed to be rather than who she really was and I think that taught me a lot and I guess I'm I've always been really interested in women like that um you know my favorite characters have always been people like that whether it's Masha and Three Sisters or Elena and Uncle Vanya and Margaret and also there's other film The World to Come that I filmed just before pieces it's coming out next month and I just I I'm so interested in that I'm so interested in women who have like who like burn so brightly, you know, have so much potential, are capable of so much, but there's, but there's not only a sort of limitation uh, society-wise or, a, you know, a, a system 
that's that's expecting them to behave in a certain way you know carry out your duty or like in the world to come it's set in 1860 and i learned so much about that time that wasn't that long ago and you know there were women on the frontier but they were quite i mean quite literally women were owned by the house and the husband and their bodies were owned by the husband and their domain was only the home they had no other space uh, to express who they are what they loved you know choices like day-to-day things like what you do with your minutes in your day that didn't belong to you and um yeah I always love sort of exploring women who think beyond those things and try and push beyond those things you know it's always like so inspiring to me it makes me think about god not like what are the things that I um have been unconsciously told that I'm supposed to do to fit in or to or to be something that's expected of me and on uh, combined with that what's my own belief system about myself what's my psyche you know that, that's also stopping me because i often thought about three sisters like why do the girls at the end they go we're going to moscow we want to go to moscow and they don't go and actually you know expectation is stopping them but also their own self-worth and their own belief that they could go to moscow and do whatever they wanted and so it's sort of it's always inspiring to me to think oh like what have i what sort of what what are the limitations I put on myself? You know that I don't think I'm I'm capable of, or you know where 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 what's my self worth saying to me all the time, and how can I how can I build on that? And yeah, you know why. And when you when you approach um, a blockbuster role, like for example in the Mission Impossible films, what are you looking for in that? Um, and what kind of discussions do you then have with the director about how to? be comfortable with that role as as a woman and you know and feel like things are because I, I think i hope that female representation is moving on which we're co- constantly discussing yeah. but yeah what kind of approach do you have for the likes of mission impossible i mean that was always just such a huge challenge to me and i was when i was terrified what well, oh, because i'm really not a physical person i never have been in fact i had a memory the other day of like sports day at school and i dreaded it I was the kind of person that absolutely dreaded it, like would get the shakes leading up to it. And then on the day would often like feign illness or like pathetically cry or try and get out of it. Like I hated the the notion of like trying to elbow someone out the way to beat them. And then if you came last, which I always did, you just feel terrible, you know, and that kind of like, you know, that the, I guess that, that weird thing of like point system of being like, you, you're the best and you won and you lost. And I just hated that. And I really struggled with it. And I was probably, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah. So the idea of, 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 I had to actually overcome that, that thing where, you know, that involved a lot of training and stuff. And I had to kind of like push past my, my fears and the fact that I just like, yeah, it was just like a huge, (laughs) childhood fear of it and I really had to pursue it and actually you know when you do that and you're like oh okay wait a minute maybe you know I don't have to it's not a running race and maybe I can you know uh, you sort of like prove something to yourself somehow that um and so that was really wonderful and and also I think I I sort of loved it Mission Impossible because I really loved playing a character who was you know not um I don't know like sort of playing into sexuality or um objectification in any way you know and the women and and that are really are really not like Rebecca's character for example and it was really wonderful to take care of that element and to make her kind of odd and um a strange presence you know rather than 
um, yeah, to uh, playing into sensuality too much or anything like that, you know, which sometimes, uh, yeah, women have been expected to play. Um, and, and that's, you know, I thought a lot about that actually. And even the birth in, um, in pieces, you know, I, I, I really wanted to make sure that the birth was like truly representative of what actual birth was like, not what a movie version of birth is, you know, no like filtered or to make it more comfortable for people to watch. I just wanted it, it to be like it actually is in all its colors and all its, you know, the spectrum of, of the experience that it is, which is in equal parts, like incredible and horrifying and kind of gross and beautiful and all those things. Well, it's kind of a public service in a way, because if people just believed that it was like in the movies, even for a bit of a shock, I'd imagine, from what I hear about. Yeah, I mean, I knew nothing about it. <laughs> Not that I have either. I realised that the more, you know, the more I tried to understand about it, the, I realised, oh my God, I actually know nothing. And why is that? Because that is the thing that unites absolutely everybody. You know, that's the, just like death, it's the only thing that we all have in common and always have and always will. So um, it seems incredible to me, actually, to think that, I think, unless you've, done it you probably have very little idea what it's actually like um yeah well is there anything else you're working on that you can reveal or you wish to reveal not yet anna i just um i'm reading a lot of stuff um haven't found the right thing next so i'm just sort of pretty open and waiting for the right thing to come along but uh the film definitely did change me um because it was so uh, it always felt like it was always for those women that spoke to me, you know, and it was so nice because it was almost like carrying their story, you know, for them rather than it being a movie or, you know, so I'm sort of looking for that feeling next. Uh, I don't know when it will come along, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Good. And when it does, will you come back on Girls on Film and tell us all about it? Of course, it? I'd love nothing more. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, it's been such a pleasure to have you, Vanessa. Best of luck in awards season for Peace as a Woman, and um, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Anna. My next guest is the critic Jessica Kiang, who has a fascinating take on the film Pieces of a Woman. She's a film critic with Variety, BBC Culture and The New York Times, and she served on the jury of the 2019 Toronto International Film Festival. Jessica, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. Thank you very much for having me, Anna. It's lovely to be here. Well, we're delighted. We're fans of your reviews and we loved your review of Pieces of a Woman. It was such a personal, um, immersed response, I think, in the film. Um, and a few people have said to me that they really want to see this film, but they're a bit nervous because they obviously know it's going to be very upsetting. How would you persuade those people to watch it? Right. I mean, that's that's a it's a it's a, always a good question. And I think especially now when everyone's in lockdown and people are not necessarily looking to be put through the ringer any more than they already have been. Um, I can see how it might be a hard sell on the outside. But actually, my point always about this film has been while, yes, it is about an incredibly traumatic experience and it begins with an incredibly, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more depth, that, that the, the opening sequence, which is of a child, a home childbirth, um, it, which is incredibly immersive and gripping. And um, 
uh, despite all of those things, for me, it is much more um, a portrait of a woman, really, of this particular woman. So, and the, it's the way that she manages this uh, trauma and the way she navigates her own way through um, grief uh, and does it in a very sort of idiosyncratic way, a very specific way to her, but does actually find her way through it. So without wanting to sound too glib about um, the film, it is ultimately, to me, it was ultimately extremely inspiring and extremely uh, uplifting in a very strange way. Um, the, the, the way that this, this, the narrative works itself out and the way we watch her coming to terms with what has happened to her and finding her, again, her, her very own, very singular path through it, I think is actually um, something really beautiful and it was really touching and really moving. So yes, it's a difficult watch at times and, it's a, and it, brings you, it does bring you through um, a, a very traumatic experience with her. But I think that in order to earn that, that sort of sense of uplift and that emotional uh, bond and connection that you have with this character. Um, you have to kind of go through that to, to get to the good stuff. This is awful. I, I, uh, I just want to have a quick listen to her heartbeat, okay? Mm. And just see how she's tolerating. Flavor, do you want to... Yeah. Maybe just lie down uh, here for just a second? Yeah. Can you hold my hand? Or my yeah. Is there the water? Yeah. I'm gonna put this on your belly. It's a little bit cold, okay? Oh, for the heartbeat? Yeah. Mmm. Ow. Why is this not coming out? Listen. Listen. It's really strong. That's great. Very well put. It is a, it's a soulful um, look into one woman's life and, and in extraordinary time. Mm. Um, and you're right. Um, I like the way it kind of ex quietly explored her coping mechanisms, even though she's not articulating them. Mm. You're seeing that on screen, aren't you? You're seeing her trying to unravel everything and quietly getting a little gradually, a little bit stronger. Mm. Um, are there any particular scenes during that process that really stood out to you? Um, I think, well, uh, aside from the showstopper opening sequence, there's there's a sort of there's a showstopper scene again later on, and and I think those are the two scenes specifically that that slightly betray the fact that the film um, actually originated as a play, um, which was written by the writer of the film and the and her her partner, who's the director of the film. Um, so. <clears throat> The, there's a second, another scene later on, which is this dinner scene in which a lot of stuff comes out, especially between Vanessa Kirby's character, Martha, and her mother, played by Ellen Burstyn. Um, and that's sort of, again, one of those sort of very um, high dramatic moments, I think. But, but for me, the scenes that actually most move me um, and the, the things that I think are the, the reason that I bonded with this film so much are actually those in-between scenes that you're talking about. It's the really quiet ones. And it's um, very much close, Very cl when we go very close in on her and often wordlessly, often in, in wordless scenes of just her looking at something or her noticing something and or, or small um, insights into postpartum, um, postnatal, it's not even depression in this case, it's in, uh, uh, but 
I know from my sisters and my, from my friends who have had children, things like things tasting different and uh, you know, your sense of smell being different. And I think there's a lot of tactile, very sensuous stuff that goes on that just is about her as a woman and as a human being, having been through this um, uh, very physical experience, obviously, and just sort of, again, those, so those little moments to me are, are the ones that more stick with me. Um, uh, uh, when she sees that the, the kid in the, in the shop, for example, afterwards, um, and there's there's no that that's that's a wordless scene. She, there's just a, a, a huge exchange of information that almost goes on between this totally unwitting child and uh, Vanessa Kirby's Martha in that scene. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think again, and this is about how, what an extraordinary performance it is. But uh, for a lot of it, um, the really moving parts to me are the parts where she doesn't speak at all. Well, you mentioned that incredible opening sequence which is traumatic but it is breathtaking and in her her performance in particular in that is amazing and we're speaking to her on this episode and and we know that she's obviously gone to a great deal of effort to research that and to speak to people who've gone through it and it seemed like a very responsible and very sensitive way of preparing for a role um talk to me a little bit about what impressed you during that sequence well, there's a lot of things. I mean, on a, on a filmmaking level, purely filmmaking level, it's uh, the, the almost the entire sequence is done in one <clears throat> in one take. So just logistically, that was difficult. And the fact that one take shots, very long take shots like that, are are are, are technically difficult to achieve. They're actually physically different, difficult for the cameraman to achieve, um, especially given that the camera in this case is is incredibly floaty and silky. I don't know if you noticed. It's unusual to have something where you're going in one room and out the other. You're following one character in another. To have it so smooth and silky and almost dreamlike, um, and I think that there's that 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 um, just to achieve that particular effect, which I, I read subsequently was a deliberate choice on their part. They wanted to make it almost feel like a baby, like that sort of um, that you know being suspended almost. Um, that that in, in itself required um, a whole gimbal suit that the cameraman had to wear. He had to go into physical training to be able to carry around this incredible rig um, in order to be able to do this. So. I mean, this is that's all obviously stuff that's not there in the scene. You don't notice it in the scene, but I think it's it's uh, it, it is it does speak to um, how uh, how what the strength of the filmmaking here that it disguises all of that effort into something that seems so silky and so smooth and that brings you in and out of these rooms. Um, she moves from the from the living room to the to the bathroom to the bedroom. Um, and we're following her. We're also following her her partner. We're also following the midwife um, in various different different times. And it feels so so sinuous and so continuous um, and it really brings us into into the the story and it, it, it again it's a, as a way of as a clarion call and as a way of immediately bonding your audience to a character's point of view i think it's tr truly stunning and throughout it all vanessa kirby is just extraordinary and it's in the small details in her performance which i'm sure are things that she will tell you about that she did discover um in in all of her research with with women who have had home births is there anything else about it that you found kind of refreshing or important from a let's say a feminist perspective really um, yeah, I think, well, I mean, from a feminist perspective, uh, I actually don't know. I think it's what, what kind of what you say. It's, it's, I like, uh, I, I like that it can't necessarily be 
be put into um, that she certainly can't necessarily be held up as some sort of role model or some sort of example of how we should be because as a feminist I do believe that actually what I want to see on, on film are, are women that I can relate to and women that I can understand but also some Sometimes women who make terrible choices and women who do things wrong and, and get things wrong. Um, and, and, you know, she contains all of those multitudes. She's a person for whom I felt intensely, but also who, who oftentimes does, you know, behaves appallingly towards um, some of her, the people close to her um, and is, uh, you know, very, very much muddling her way through this grief. Um, but again, I think it's one of those, it's a, it's a really unusual uh, film in that it talks about her negotiating her grief very much on her own terms. We have all of those scenes of her by herself. Um, and I think that's, as a feminist, that's something that I don't see, I mean, as a feminist, as, as, as a person who watches movies, that's something I don't I don't see very much. Our shots are scenes of women by themselves working through their problems by themselves. It's not something that we get very much of. Um, so uh, yeah, so I think that on, on that level. And then again, also I will say um, I think that there's something quite courageous about the way the film ends and the real crescendo of it for me, which is in the courtroom. Um, and there's a uh, I don't want to give too much of it away, but. There's something quite uh, almost radical, I think, about um, daring to tell a story like this um, about such trauma and daring to end it on this, this um, note of, of almost transcendence, of, of something really beautiful that has gone on. And again, it's something really beautiful that has gone on just inside her. It's a change it's a sort of a breaking open or, 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 you know, it's, and it, it, to me, it's also then that moment definitely relates to several different types of grief, I think. Um, because as I say, as I say in my review, I, I'm, I haven't been through this exact situation, but we've all experienced some sort of loss or some sort of trauma or some sort of grief. And, and for me, that moment in the courtroom is, um, is a, is a really beautiful and very unusual, very rare uh, depiction of a, of a moment that does sometimes happen through the grieving process, where it's almost like the grief itself or or the person for whom you are grieving starts to sort of tell you to to let it go a little bit, to let yourself off the hook and to let everybody else off the hook. Um, because that's the other thing about this this film, it, which does it this much better than I think many films about grief do. It actually talks almost again about the sort of selfishness of grief sometimes, about how sometimes we actually want to hang on to the grief because it, we feel like it's the last thing we have of the person for whom we're grieving. Um, and to be able to get to the point there where we suddenly realize that those two things are not the same and we can, we can let some of that go uh, is, is, uh, is incredibly important and it's, it's beautifully done here. I love that moment that you're talking about. And thank you for not spoiling it if people haven't said it, um, <laughs> seen it yet. But I do think it is an important moment. And I think it's a very compassionate moment. And mm. certainly in the current times, films that speak to kindness and compassion are, I think, crucial. And this certainly felt very, ultimately, very warm-hearted. And, mm. um, you know, e even though it deals with some very difficult subjects, and as you say, people who don't always say or do the right thing, um, ultimately, it's very forgiving. Yes. And that's really, really lovely. Um, in terms of the overall picture of this film, it's interesting to note that it's obviously written by a, a woman um, and then filmed by her, directed by her partner. Um, what do you think that brought to the picture? Because it feels so personal and so intimate, doesn't it? 
It does, it does. And, and um, her partner, Cornel Mondruzzo, I mean, she, she has written, I think, both of his previous films as well, um, the, the two that I've seen anyway. Um, and Cornel Mondruzzo, is, he's a very interesting director on his own. Um, he, he has uh, these two very well-regarded cam premieres behind him. Um, the first one was a film called White God, which was about the dogs in Budapest. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's terrific. I really enjoyed that film. His second one was actually in competition in Cannes, was a film called Jupiter's Moon, which I wasn't mad about. But again, uh, in, in, in both of those films, the filmmaking brio the little the technical achievement was was never uh, uh, in question and I think certainly even with Jupiter's Moon which was kind of a, a baffling film everybody came out of it going well you know the guy knows how to stage a scene and knows actually how to sort of turn something in almost inside out um, uh, in, in how he approaches shooting a scene so I think that there's something there is a really interesting thing going on there I mean as as schematic as I'm going to sound now it's not that the, the you know that Kato, whether the, the writer wrote the, the things and then he made them look the way they are. I'm sure it's a much more symbiotic and a much more free exchange type of relationship than that. In fact, I didn't. I do notice that now, I'm not sure that this happened when I saw it at the premiere, but now at the very beginning of the film, they actually say a film by Cornel Mondruzzo and Kata Weber. So while he's credited as director, the, the film is by them both. Um, so I think that he brings that, that great filmmaking brio to it. I think he... Uh, uh, despite the fact I mentioned those two scenes, which are quite theatrical in their in the way they're presented, the, for the rest of the film uh, and actually the way the film in general is put together, it's incredibly cinematic. It's incredibly easy to watch. It's beautifully shot. I mean, really beautifully shot. And the the way he treats the, the close-ups of her, the the way he knows to go for close-ups, the way he knows to you know to let something hang, and um, it's 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 a, a beautifully put together film. So I think he brings that level of you know quite almost show-offy um, uh, directorial confidence to it. So, uh, yeah, more power to them. Well, listen, um, tell me what else you've been watching on streaming. Anything else stand out briefly? One of the things I'd like to take this small platform to encourage people to do is to go off-piste, maybe into the into the less trafficked corners of their Netflix account. And under the genres, if you go into movies and click on genres, there's the international button. So um, uh, I wanted to highlight a couple of things from the international button. There's um, a film called Proxima, which um, we're, we're talking a, a lot about, you know, uh, representation of women and things, and, and Proxima is wonderful for that. It's uh, by a, a female director called Alice Winnicourt, a French director, and it stars Eva Green. And it's um, very, it's uh, about uh, actually about motherhood as well to a certain degree, but in this case, it's about motherhood versus um, career. And it just so happens that this particular woman's career is as an astronaut, and she's about to go to Mars. Um, so uh, I, I think it's a beautifully understated um, piece of work, and I think Eva Green is truly superb in it and it really gives me something it gave me something again like pieces of woman did that i don't often see which is a woman's professional career aspirations in fact her vocation which it is in, in this case being taken really seriously and being treated as something that is absolutely right um up there with with motherhood in terms of her priorities i love that proxima as well great choice yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, I suppose there's also there's a uh, there's a, a documentary called Dick Johnson is Dead, which is also which was actually a Netflix original. Um, and uh, Dick Johnson is Dead is again by a female director um, uh, called Kristen Johnson, and she's the daughter of the Dick Johnson of the title. Um, and it's this marvelously inventive. Um, uh, 
way of staving off the death of her of her own father, of her beloved father, Dick Johnson, whom we meet throughout the film and who is still alive, um, uh, but who we meet throughout the film. And she basically um, is is putting him into these ridiculous fictionalized situations, um, but as a way to almost in advance uh, inure herself against some of the grief that she's about to, that she, she feels that she, she's, you know, in the next few years anyway, is probably likely to experience with his loss. Um, and it's just such, I, I know I'm making it sound like a, an enormous downer, but can I stress again um, that, that it is actually one of the most joyful and uplifting and delightful things. And especially even just for the fact that we get to meet Dick Johnson, her father, who is one of the most delightful film characters. And he's a real guy um, uh, that I've experienced in the last few, few years anyway. Oh man, sweetie, your father is, is a wreck. It's just inevitable and a part of who we all are. Yeah. The fact that he's willing to keep doing this. Right? He's doing it for you with love. He's doing it for me with love. Yeah, he'll do anything for me. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you for those recommendations. And um, anything else you're up to that we should know about? Oh, uh, well, there's the Berlin Film Festival is coming up. Um, they're, they're having an online portion of it. So, uh, yeah, I just I feel like I've just come back in large uh, inverted commas from Sundance, um, which was also an, uh, which is another festival, but was uh, all held online. And I will be going in inverted commas to to Berlin in a, in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, so there's a lot of sort of pre preparation and some, you know, advanced things I have to I have to do around that. But yes, you will. You will I'll, I will be. Um, uh, doing a lot of writing and reviewing from from there. Well, enjoy Berlin, and I hope I to uh, bump into you in person at a film festival one yes. of these days. That yes. would be if, lovely. If that ever happens again, <laughs> I will see you in 2027. Oh, come on. <laughs> Can in July. It could happen. Can in July. Maybe. Okay. Fingers yes. crossed. All yeah. right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. It's a great pleasure. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Pieces of a Woman is on Netflix now. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Tom Wally, assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana Jay, and our partners for this episode, Netflix. Do follow us and message us on social media. Check out our Twitter feed for details of a special free preview screening of Amy Poehler's new film. It's called Moxie and it's screening on March the 1st, 2021. And also check out our Patreon page for special treats. We're on patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Vanessa Kirby and Jessica Kiang. See you soon and stay safe. Can you just like put one arm up against the wall? Like, yeah, that's nice.